I wanted to mention this man, 48 years old, mm-hmm. looks incredible. He, he is looks 20 years younger. Yeah, easily. Which is good for him because his husband is 20 years younger. Yeah. Not to be so a funny. bitch. <laughs> Welcome to Please Bless This Podcast, the podcast where two sisters talk about all things Mormon and pop culture and sometimes oops didn't think that one out um what are we talking about (laughs) we're talking about um the documentary film mama's boy um on hbo max came out in 2022 um based on the memoir of dustin lance black who grew up mormon and you if you know him at all you know him from writing milk and winning an oscar for the screenplay in 2009 that's where i knew him from originally um he also was behind under the banner of heaven which came out last year and which we covered on this podcast he was a writer for big love which i didn't know until me neither watching this i hadn't realized he was part of that so yeah hollywood guy screenwriter creator producer director guy and um he wrote a memoir about his life his mom it's really centered around his mom and her story and them kind of coming together when he came out to her in adulthood and her like coming around and being a supportive mom yeah and they lived quite a life she lived quite a life she lived quite a life so his mom Anne, um grew up in the south in louisiana i believe and Mm -hmm. she had polio as a little girl and she ended up being paralyzed from the chest down yeah um from a young age and um uh, never let it hold her back she was a total badass (laughs) like Uh i'm gonna do whatever anybody else can do she didn't want to use a wheelchair she um used crutches she decided she wanted to become a doctor and so like was going to college studying to become a doctor and she had been told as a girl like you are not going to live a normal life like you should Mm -hmm. not expect to be married or no that's not true they were like you should find a man to take care of you yeah and they told her you cannot have children like your body can't survive that um And, you know, yeah, you're not going to be able to, like, get around, move through the world in a way that other people can't. I mean, to be fair, she was in the hospital. I wrote it down from 2 to 15. Yeah. I mean, she (laughs) did have, like, so much physical trauma that she was dealing with. She, like, was in a coma for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Like, pretty stunning that she came out of all of that. And did end up living, you know, a relatively normal life. Totally. In the end, she, she ended up with a successful career. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and she ended up having uh, several marriages. I guess we'll start with that. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, she uh, found the Mormons or really the Mormons found her, obviously, mm-hmm. as they do. And um, she ended up being introduced to a man Um who uh was not the best guy but she took off with him so she was in college studying to become a doctor and the mormons found her Mm -hmm. and one thing i thought was interesting that is mentioned is that one of the teachings that really persuaded her to join the church there were two one was 
your body will be made perfect in the next life after the resurrection. And she was like, yes, that's, you know, what I want. Yeah. Um, And I can see that being a really compelling belief mm-hmm. when your body has been through so much mm-hmm. and you've been told for as long as you can remember that your body is like broken. Yeah. Um, But then they also told her like families are eternal. This sort of idea that even if you can't have children in this life, you can in the next. Yeah. And again you can see why that would be like a beautiful belief to hold but coming from the framework we are where we're like well mormonism isn't true it's all made up it it is very manipulative right Right? and they used those specific teachings on her right you know they're targeting their message to get her to be baptized because that's what mormon missionaries do like mormon missionary work is inherently manipulative uh the goal is to get people to do what you want them to do and to say what you need to say to achieve that end Mm -hmm. and you it's justified because you think you're doing something that's going to help them (laughs) because you're so indoctrinated and you believe the things that you're saying right Mm -hmm. but again when you strip away the truth claims and recognize that they are false it's pretty gross for sure kinds of things that missionaries are doing to get people to be baptized and uh, it ended up you know at the end of the day she had like um a loving family and a successful career and and whatnot but she had a really hard life because of the church right you know she was put on a path so she meets this guy this mormon guy number one his name's rawl yeah odd name r-a-u-l so presumably raul raul but they mormon whitefied it (laughs) i know so and her family is so suspicious of this guy because apparently he had been a mormon missionary it's like around the time of the Vietnam War, and because he was a Mormon missionary, he hadn't been drafted. And her family, who are not Mormons, they're just like watching her get caught up in this group. They're like, wait, 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 he's trying to avoid the draft. Right. Because if he marries a woman with a disability, apparently that's something you could use to get out of the draft. And they're just like, open your eyes. This is not a good guy. Mm, that's so sinister right yeah but they get married mm-hmm. and it, and they stay married long enough that they have three sons together including mm-hmm. dustin he's the middle child which you know that i relate to yeah um he uh you know they they're together for years they end up moving to san antonio texas so they moved from like the south to california to san antonio and then we learn that Rawl's been cheating on Anne with his first cousin Ooh. and wants to do polygamy, mm-hmm. <laughs> wants to be a polygamous man Classic. with his first cousin and I guess Anne. And she is like, no, 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 get mm-hmm. lost, bro. Bye-bye. And so he takes off he vanishes like they interview one of her cousins or aunts or somebody and they're like 
they they had a hard time even finding the guy to get the divorce like yeah he just disappears he he's probably out in some there. freaky polygamous commune somewhere off the grid yeah i just can't even imagine that i mean men men be doing that stuff it's just crazy to me like three lovely sons mm-hmm. a lovely wife right adios a happy like relatively normal life goodbye i'm never just never to be heard from again yeah and like strange and there's it's so even ickier than you even think like she catches him and the first cousin like having sex on their couch in san antonio i mean it's just like blatant gross weird creepy behavior (laughs) so that's her first mormon marriage yes not ideal. Her next is to a man, another red flag name, Meryl. <laughs> uh, I love in the notes how you're like, this is the most Mormon <laughs> red flag name. It's funny because we have a great uncle, Meryl. Of course. We and, do. but the only Merrills, it's like Lurie. We've talked about Lurie. If you've yeah. met a Lurie, you've met a Mormon. If you meet a Meryl. Yes. Meryl J. Bateman, too, was the president of BYU when I was an undergrad another meryl of he was of course he yeah, was of course he was yeah meryl and Lurie. what a lovely couple yeah <laughs> um so yeah then the church or i don't know who sets her up with meryl but through the church she meets meryl yeah um they uh, make it seem like divorce. it's kind of arranged by the bishop yes the bishop you're right like meryl and Anne are both divorced single parents mm-hmm living in the same ward and in a mormon ward that means you're a problem to be solved right right like if you're single you need to be made not single that is truly the driving force of mormonism so they look at this woman and they're like we ought to get her husband oh we happen to have this guy here who's also (laughs) divorced and a liability let's get him together and it's right. and I mean Dustin Lance Black even says like it's not like they met and fell in love or something. It's like the church was like, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Yeah. And they knew something was off because they never met Merrill's kids. Yeah. Yikes. Mm-hmm. The kid his kids were just never around. And then yeah, Merrill starts beating up on him. Mm-hmm. And things start to fall into place. It becomes clear that he's not a good guy. Um, there's one really crazy moment in the documentary where Dustin and his younger brother, like, go back to the neighborhood they grew up in. And they talk mm-hmm. about the day when they came home from playing outside and saw Meryl trying to kill their mother with, like, a butcher knife. Mm-hmm. And their older brother who had at that point kind of become an absent figure in the family, comes storming in with like a baseball bat and beats the shit out of Meryl. That is not how their marriage ends, believe it or not. That's just an incident. They also find out Meryl tried to kill his first wife. Yes. Which is why they've never met Meryl's kids. Because he has no access to them. Because he tried to murder their mother. Not only that, the church knew that. The bishop knew that. Of course they the did. The people who set Anne up with Meryl knew this about him and did not yeah. tell her. Not only that, she had gone to the bishop and said, he's hitting me and the kids. He's hurting us. And was told 
it's the woman's responsibility to create an environment where the man of the house can thrive, basically. Right. So what can you do to create a space for him where he's not going to be feeling violent and filled with rage? I mean, these people are villains, monsters mm-hmm. to do this knowingly. It is sickening. No. Like, it makes me think about what's in the news right now. The hate family in Enoch City, Utah, where the man oh murdered his wife, kids, mother-in-law, and then killed himself. Ostensibly because she had filed for divorce. Right. And you find out that there had been this history of violence. And, you know, she had finally put her foot down. And he um, reacted in extreme, in an extremely violent way and killed everybody. Mm-hmm. And yet the like obituary for him is this glowing endorsement of like his character and his devotion to his family and to the church. And there have been lots of people talking on like Twitter and TikTok about the comments in the obituary where Mm -hmm. men particularly Mm -hmm. in their church congregation are like, he was such a great spiritual leader. He'll be so missed. And it just, it feels so similar. It does. And it's so crazy and like shocking to read when you think about like family annihilators of the past, you know, Mm -hmm. that we've seen um on the news i mean nobody would ever say something like that about them these men were like absolutely like the minute you find out what they do they're right you know they're rejected by their families these people are monsters but yeah from within the church it's just like they they just see things differently it's so dark and disturbing and like so naive mm-hmm. and strange and it's just really unsettling and like and all of those misogyny to it for sure all those men need their hard drives investigated <laughs> yeah at the very least wouldn't trust a single one of them i mean if you don't want to publicly you know call this man who you knew a monster just don't say anything right like you don't need to be jumping to his defense at mere days after he has murdered his entire family. To me, it looks like these people are um, trying to maybe spin it like he had a really severe mental health episode, mm. you know, and that he's not like a terrible monster because he did this thing because how could he have been? Because as far as we know, he was this great spiritual man um, but we also know from reporting around the incident that it wasn't an isolated incident no. of violence. Like, just enough. Yeah. It's too much. Like, stop defending violent. <laughs> stop defending violence. Right. It's time to, like, re- start rejecting men who are uh, abusive to their families. Yeah. And exhibit violent beha- behavior. Like, how about mm-hmm. we get excommunicate those people, church? Yeah. And also that there be, like, broader legal consequences. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah. We're not going to just try to just don't don't just gloss over it. Oh, mm-hmm. no, you got divorced because you tried to kill your wife. Let's set you up with somebody else. No, you're gone. Yeah. You're done. I'm calling I- the police. Get out of my office. 
Right. One thing it's making me think of is just that there's there's so much potential for this kind of stuff to happen when you're a part of an organization that has this kind of like hardcore pack mentality, like a church, like a cult, right? Where it's like, well, if this person who I've seen do good in the church on a Sunday is actually a monster, then then what does that say about me, about the people around me, about everybody else? So he can't be a monster. It can't right. be true. So I have to create some kind of explanation for myself or I have to gloss it over. I have to put on rose-colored glasses. I have to find a way to make it not what it is. Mm-hmm. There's just this incredibly intentional delusion, mm-hmm. like group delusion. Right. And you see it in small ways, but this is just an instance where you're seeing it in a huge way in yeah. the way that this story about that family is unfolding. Anyway, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about mom. I mean, there and there are more. There's another husband after this. Mm-hmm. There is another husband after this. So um, luckily, Meryl is shipped off out of the country for mm-hmm. work. And that period of distance gives them a chance to end things. And he's gone. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. And she ends up marrying again. Mm-hmm. This time, not a Mormon. And Perfect. shocker, it turns out he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. The common denominator of Mormonness in these men was maybe a problem. Yeah. Turns out part of the root of the problem. Um, So this next guy is great and is a great stepdad. And it seems like from there, their family life is pretty stable. Yeah. He seems wonderful. He's like 16 years younger than her, which is awesome. And he was a total babe when they met. So she's like dating this like total smoke show who's way younger than her. Another thing, common denominator in the marriages that didn't work out was that they were mormon and they were setups now this mm-hmm. guy she met organically and yeah just uh, at work he's not mormon she got to get her cougar on good for yeah. her yeah outstanding yeah. and they move back to california mm-hmm. so they move back to california the boys are growing up dustin like travels through la one day and is like feels called to return <laughs> and he moves down there for college and he goes to like ucla film school and he's you know f- honing his craft and finding himself and he's known he's gay since he was a young boy but growing up mormon he was like oh i can't be gay because the leaders of the church tell me that that is a deviant behavior that it's akin to murder and so i right. would never i can't even consider this mm-hmm but his best friend is also gay and they haven't come out to each other but Dustin Lance Black it's like I just knew he convinces his friend to come out to him he kind of like pressures him to do it mm-hmm. when they're living in LA together like he's like just tell me just tell me the truth you know right and the friend finally does come out to him and Dustin Lance Black is like oh I don't know if we can be friends anymore and when he tells this story, there's an acknowledgement that that was really fucked up, that that was, like, yeah. bad behavior. For sure. And and a reflection of how much self-loathing he was carrying. Yeah. 
but it's pretty dark. Yeah, I know. Uh, there's a part of me that appreciates the honesty. I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of people would not tell that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's still hard to hear. I mean, you feel for the friend. He yes. sounds like he was like, you know, a bully, albeit like going through a, a really hard time himself. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does make me think about how growing up in a shame-based culture like Mormonism instills a lot of self-hatred, self-loathing into people mm-hmm. if they're gay, if they're for any number of reasons, right? And that kind of internalized self-hatred leads to really bad behavior leads to really like leads you to treat others poorly because you hate yourself and the way you think about and talk about yourself internally talk about yourself is so negative and dark that that like kind of seeps out into how you treat others there are so many problems with these like frameworks of thinking because they create people who engage in behavior that otherwise they wouldn't if you didn't have that internalized self-hatred you would never do that to a friend right if the if these people had otherwise been taught like just like acceptance yeah and And there's like a safety that you can rely on you would never do that and you see it all the time see it all the time in the church growing up as a young woman the way that Mm -hmm just the like shitty manipulative mm-hmm. just dark-sided way <laughs> yes you're taught to, to like other. be ashamed of your body mm-hmm. and what that translates to is you're super horrible to other women mm-hmm. like I remember being in relief society I was a young I was maybe like 18 or 19 or something so I was new to relief society and I was in like a single adult ward and one of the women in the ward, also a young person, like 1920, was wearing like a sleeveless dress. And one of the bishopric members' wives in Relief Society, so like an older woman, she turned to a group of us sitting in Relief Society and was like, did her mother never teach her not to dress like a slut? <gasps> Oh my god. So this woman who is like married to the bishop or something, right? Like she's in this position of she's in our ward, in our relief society to be like this positive influence on us and to train us up in like how to be relief society sisters. And that's what she's doing. Is she's talking mad shit about a girl, a 19-year-old girl in the room to other 19-year-old girls in the room. So hoping we're all going to be like, yeah, oh, she's so trashy. And we were all like, whoa. Mm -hmm. There's something about the way they do it so blatantly, Mm -hmm. too, where it, like, catches you off guard and, um, like, they're trying, like, there's almost an assumption, like, of course you're going to agree with me. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember I had a friend um, as a teenager who was, uh, her family was in the church, but she was, like, on her way out very clearly but she was like my best friend Mm -hmm. and uh uh, i remember somebody who we notoriously talk shit about elisa uh, a very special woman in our in our growing up in the church who was just always so nasty um one time she said to me she was like so do you really like her you know and like she made a comment about how she had a nose ring or something 
And I'm like, she is very obviously my best friend. You see her around all the time. Mm-hmm. You're sitting at my dinner table in my house talking mm-hmm. shit about my best friend. Where do you get off? Yeah. Like, what is up? Like, who do you think you are? What do you expect me to say? But like, they just get away with it. They're just able to be like so nasty about people. This is a bit of a throwback, but it makes me think about the scene in Under the Banner of Heaven where like it's clear that Jeb Pyrie's faith is kind of slipping and he's not sure his daughter should get baptized. And a woman in the ward like confronts his wife outside of church and is just like, wouldn't it's what a shame to, you know, experience this. And I think she'd had like a miscarriage or had had a hard time getting pregnant and the woman said something kind of like invoking like, yeah, oh, maybe it's for the best. Like it was so dark. Yeah. But the evil. woman was just smiling sweetly as she said the most vicious stuff. And I was like, this is too real. A Mormon wrote this scene. But yeah, credit to uh Dustin Lance Black on that one. He mm-hmm. um uh when we I, I think it's our first episode we talked about under the banner of heaven and he really did a great job putting together a team to really um really expertly depict a lot of things in mormonism yeah, capture the mormon ethos yes for sure so where were we oh yeah so, so he's living in la with his friend his friend comes out to him eventually dustin lance black also comes out yeah and then he's out and he's gay and he's you know trying to figure out what that's all about and he's keeping it a secret from his family and that's really hard he's getting more distant from his mom Mm -hmm. and uh but he does eventually come out to her he has the sense that his mom knows Mm. and she's disapproving you know even though they're no longer practicing mormonism that stopped after meryl left Mm mm-hmm She's maintained this kind of faithfulness and conservativeness. And so he knows she disapproves of um, the gay lifestyle, right? And he's in her home and she says something about don't ask, don't tell, because there had just been, that had just been passed by President Clinton And he saw it as this very disturbing policy that shoves gay people into the closet even deeper. And she was talking about how good it was, you know, Mm -hmm. like we don't need to hear from (laughs) that people are gay. Like, right. They can be who they want to be, I guess. But like, we don't they don't need to shove it in people's faces was essentially what she was saying. And he, he was like really disturbed by it because he kind of knew she knew that he was gay Mm -hmm. and yet was choosing to have that conversation with him which if it were me I would feel like what she was saying to me was like just keep it to yourself yeah and I do feel like that's an experience I've known gay Mormon friends of mine to kind of have Mm -hmm. is that their parents kind of don't want to know don't want to hear don't want to see yeah and that can be I I'm sure so incredibly painful Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the exchange that they have but then she says to him kind of acknowledges it and is like how could you have chosen this for yourself Mm -hmm. so it's not a positive story you know his coming out wasn't well received he does say in that moment to her like why would you have chosen to have polio and walk with these braces 
yeah sort of as like a counterpoint to her question about right. why would you choose to be gay i found that comparison a little odd mm-hmm. maybe because it is like a rhetorical tactic the church has taken when talking about gayness is they'll say like it's like being born with a disability mm-hmm. and just like if you have polio and walk with leg braces after the resurrection your body will be made perfect and you were you will no longer be have this handicap or be gay right and that is a problematic teaching right yeah and like perhaps at this point in his like life and in coming out maybe he still felt like um he he still wished he wasn't i mean obviously he's having this really hard conversation with his mom that isn't going very well yeah it's like the person he cares about most in the world i'm sure that he would have rather not but you know uh, but even in the retelling there's no kind of acknowledgement that that was not a perfect corollary yeah so it did kind of it gave me pause for a minute for sure "Mm." and his delivery of that message in the documentary is a little bit like and i said this thing to her that laid her out on her ass and it's so cool and it's just like that's i mean i do think let's just say we're both fans of dustin lance black and his work and um and recognize the value of this documentary so we're not gonna shit talk it but there is something about the way he delivers some of these moments because he's the main narrator Mm -hmm. he has just a very confident delivery Mm -hmm. um of some things that are troubling like the story about the best friend who he like pushed to come out and then turned on or Mm -hmm. saying this to his mom a thing that could be sort of a harmful idea mm-hmm. to some people hearing it for sure and i do think there's something about having him be the main narrator that oh, introduces moments of like i don't know if this is quite working <laughs> right yeah i think it probably works better in the context of a memoir a written memoir yeah i had the same but thought it it literally having his face his voice is him looking at you know down into down the barrel yeah it adds a little something where you're just like "Mm, i don't know i don't know Mm -hmm. dustin i don't know dusty but yeah Yeah. we are definitely not shit talking dusty we're fans i wanted to mention this man 48 years old Mm -hmm. looks incredible yeah he does he He is 20 years younger yeah easily which is good for him because his husband is 20 years younger yeah not to be a bitch yeah not to skip to the end and be a bitch and his mom were cougars turns out yeah he's married to tom daly the british diver yeah and again no not to be not to go there but when they started dating tom daly was 19 yeah and dustin lance black was 39 was 39 and you know if he didn't look so young that would honestly (laughs) be a a bit of a red flag but i'm a little bit like you know what he gets a pass because (laughs) i'm just gonna say no comment yeah i just want the information out there i'm not gonna (laughs) thank you editorialize thank you so much you're welcome so he's he's back in la he's come out to his mom it didn't go well but she comes to visit and she meets a bunch of his queer friends he makes it seem like in the matter of one night, one 
one like evening in his home with some queer friends she like comes to relate to them and and feel connected to them and that her like whole attitude changes yeah which may or may not be exactly how it went down right that Mm -hmm. seems a little clean and tidy right but his like big takeaway from that experience and also sort of the main thesis of this documentary and his memoir is that there's power in us telling our stories to each other and that hearing each other's stories can help us to like build bridges across difference. Mm -hmm. So his mom heard these stories and her perspective changed towards him and towards the LGBTQ community. I'm not saying that that's not true or a good point. It does get a little like, um, over romanticized in a mm-hmm. couple of points yeah definitely like really in one night this woman who had spent like 40 years believing that right. being gay was a perversion akin to murder that that just changed yeah he even mentions at the end of the night she sort of is teasing him about a guy who was there mm-hmm. who he clearly has a crush on and that that she was teasing that guy and saying you should take my son on a date mm-hmm. it was kind of unbelievable but i will say you know yeah those kinds of bridges i do i do think it's important to keep those lines of communication open with people who you feel safe around Mm -hmm. you know like obviously like his mom loves him she loves her children and she's like a caring person though she had bigoted beliefs like there Mm -hmm. was a lifetime of otherwise connection trust and connection Mm -hmm. and like those bridges can be built you know in, in lots of cases in people's lives but like generally with people that you trust that you have, have a pre-existing yeah i don't want to be too cynical about it but i also don't want to be like naive about it and there are times where i feel like this story crosses that line into being a little bit like naive or over romanticized later skipping ahead he um when uh proposition eight happens in 2008 the mormon church like pours all this money into it Mm-hmm. And it passes, making gay marriage illegal in California. And the if I think the biggest donor was the Mormon Church. Yeah. And we've talked before about like I was at BYU in 2008. It was hammered into us. Like you have to do everything that you can, even from Provo, to make sure the Proposition 8 passes in California. It was everywhere. And he wins his Oscar for milk right after proposition eight passes it's like the winter of 2009 he's giving this oscar speech and he gets up and he talks about growing up in a mormon household as a gay kid Mm -hmm. and um how he was taught not to love himself basically that he didn't matter Mm -hmm. and um and that that wasn't true and he was like i promise that soon there will be federal protections for gay people in this country so he gets really involved in activist work around um, gay marriage and just gay rights at a federal level and that means addressing the church and prop eight and the church's involvement 
And so he talks about like meeting with leaders of the church right? and sharing stories and building bridges. And again, it feels a little rose colored Mm -hmm, the way he talks about it. I'm not trying to deny that he had like compelling conversations with leaders of the church, Mm -hmm. but if the church could, um, get away with proposition eight again now they totally would and he talks about mormons building bridges that group that was attending mm-hmm. like gay pride parades in salt lake as evidence of hearts and minds being changed yeah she does seem to see this possibility mm-hmm. for systemic change in the church that i literally do not believe is possible no not from and an I, institutional level no and i guess like it would it wouldn't be a bad thing and so if he wants to make that a part of his whole thing then sure but it's just so incredibly unlikely you know yeah it's giving his kind of main thesis in the end is giving Tyrion lannister at the end of game of thrones (laughs) he's he just keeps being like the power of storytelling (laughs) and then like uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think there's power in storytelling. I'm watching him tell a story mm-hmm. because I want to learn from it and experience something and feel something. And I do think that's real. But I think there's also a lot of power in money mm-hmm. and greed and, um, <laughs> you know, like cult belief. I don't know that stories are enough to undo all of that. No, um stories don't really compare to a hundred billion dollars yeah right so yeah but it's a nice story it's a nice story i will say i think another sort of big message he drives home in the end because he goes back to louisiana and he spends time with Mm. his mom's family who he hasn't known or spent a lot of time with um as an adult and since coming out and he has like a really beautiful experience with them and they're featured in the documentary and they clearly have been able to like find some common ground Mm -hmm. and that's great and he talks about um he says blood's thicker right like family Mm -hmm. over politics and religion yeah And I do think that's beautiful. Like institutional change driven by the power of stories. I don't know, guys. Yeah. But um, can individual families actively choose family over politics and religion? I think they can. Mm -hmm. And I think they should. And I think that's powerful for people. Mm -hmm. Like when it comes to something as important as like LGBTQ rights, And like, let's say there is a person who would otherwise have um, had like a bigoted opinion of those people Mm -hmm. just basically for no good reason if they had not had the influence of somebody they love in their life Mm -hmm. coming in and saying, hey, that's me, you know, Mm -hmm. let's talk about it. Like that's like that changes families like generationally, you know, that's so powerful and um yeah i feel like the the blood's thicker you know side of the of the documentary definitely was more effective for me too yeah that message really landed yeah i think because i've seen it yeah i've seen individuals i know make the choice to put their family above their faith in mormonism Mm -hmm. and i've seen the opposite too but Mm -hmm. i have seen people do that 
I do know it's possible. To some extent, our parents have done that. Mm-hmm. And I really am so glad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Thank For goodness. Sure. Yeah. Um, I will say there was a review of the documentary in the New York Times that was mostly very, very positive. But there was one paragraph that kind of called out the same sort of issue I feel like we're talking about. Um, and I'm just going to read briefly from that review. Okay. It says, the film takes a somewhat myopic approach to Black's reach-across-the-aisle activism philosophy, focusing primarily on his work toward marriage equality. It doesn't consider how political polarization can make the strategy of sharing space with others and stories with others, as his mother did, difficult to execute when many places go out of their way to bar those different from them, even from entering in the first place. Mm-hmm. That made me think about, like, just in the last couple of years these like don't say gay laws being passed right or like um states that are like fighting to remove um curriculum around like racism and from schools right so this work to just like invisibilize Mm -hmm. people and and remove them from the experience of others like remove them from our collective experience yeah like that shit is real and terrifying Mm -hmm. and needs bigger solutions than put people in the same place and let them share their experiences like that is a lot to ask of a Mm -hmm. gay kid in florida for sure you we you can't even say the word gay right or um you know, a black student in a classroom that's not even allowed to teach systemic racism. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's a little rose-colored. Anyway, (laughs) on another note, I will say, I remember vividly seeing Dustin Lance Black's Oscar speech in 2009 Mm -hmm. when I was at BYU and Prop 8 had just um, passed, and I had felt a lot of bad feelings about it and i remember hearing him mention being mormon and just perking up like oh my gosh this person who just wrote the screenplay for milk is a Mm -hmm. mormon yeah and um it like really was powerful for me to hear Mm -hmm. given that i was having a lot of questions and doubts but was also so deeply entrenched in mormonism still Mm -hmm. to see someone who'd like gotten out and was talking about it as like a success story yeah so you know please bless dustin lance black for sure a lot of good in the world keep it up man keep looking so young (laughs) keep up the fillers whatever you're doing you got a great ratio uh-huh. whoever your doctor is no offense yeah. no offense no it hasn't crossed that line into like oh it's looking a little cartoonish like no. it's really yeah you're Keeping beautiful it tight. um please bless his mom who has since passed yeah what a woman yeah she's a she's a baller yeah and you know please bless this podcast amen <laughs>